0: And iShine founder, solo parenting expert, and all-around foodie, Mr. Robert Beeson. Join us each week as we explore and engage with some of the most intriguing, inspiring, outrageous, and awesome parents in the world. This is Brilliantly Brave.
1: Hi, I'm Pastor Brad Mathias, and I want to welcome you to Season 2 of Brilliantly Brave. Why did you look at me like that with that? Pause. Well, you're the sidekick. I'm not a sidekick. Yeah, I'm a co-host. Robert Beeson is the one who's speaking. And, uh, for and I'm his, really glad to be here. Yeah, he is. He's excited Thanks. to be here. Thanks for here. having me. And uh, it's a summer that uh, we've endured the heat here in Tennessee. I don't know where you're at, but we're excited now that it's fall, that we're going to be leaving the heat behind, the humidity behind. We're going to find, what, cool air somewhere?
2: We're going to try, but you what know. you're saying is not accurate. We are gonna be broadcasting in the fall, but I'm pretty hot. It's still summer, Look, a You
1: know, warm. we walk by faith, Just not a full by disclosure. sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. Okay. And if you read your Bible occasionally you might know that. Okay. So what we
2: have is a, a, a You know this isn't banter. This is more insults than it is banter. Well I enjoy it. Okay. Okay. Fair
1: enough. I do too. So, uh, Pastor Brad here. Uh, Robert and I have had a summer off. We've uh, been doing things like tours and uh, festivals. We went to Creation Fest Northeast. Shout out to the guys there. It was an awesome time. And the 40,000 people that were there.
2: Yes, it was.
1: A really nice time. We took the shock and awe show on the road. And um, we really, really enjoyed meeting lots of our fans and the people that... Uh, listen to this podcast. So we're grateful for that. We're also in the middle of producing season six of I Shine Connect, which is a TV series.
2: And we're revamping that completely. So we have a different plot line and um, it's going to look very different. Very excited about it. um,
1: Yeah, it's going to be on uh, TBN networks as well as uh, Daystar and uh, NRB and any of the really significant Christian television networks in the United States. And so uh, look for that in the S- January of 2018. That'll become uh, airing and it'll be uh, on Saturday mornings. So we're, we've been busy. I hope you've had a great summer. And we know that as you get back into the swing of uh, school, as you get back into this sort of schedule of busyness that is life, you're uh, suddenly confronted with uh, a whole series of new uh, stresses as parents. And Robert, you've got six kids Mm-hmm. Uh, Mine are in college or married, uh, so I'm in a different season. But I know that for you, this season of life gets crazy busy.
2: It's wonderful when <laughs> school starts again. It's, <laughs> it's the best time of the year because we're uh, finally at a place where um, there can be some semblance of, of normal in our home. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to that day. But, yes, it is crazy. I mean, there's a lot of juggling, and, and we've got all teenagers, 100% teenagers. Um so it's a it's a very chaotic and dramatic existence yeah. right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt. And I, in particular, today's guest is, uh, is going to be helpful to the parents who are beginning to deal with the pressures of school. And if your kids go to public school, if they're in any way being affected by the culture, which mm-hmm. this podcast, Brilliantly Brave, is very concerned about the impact our culture is having on our youth. Uh, This podcast is for you because we're going to be looking at creation, we're going to be looking at the scientific evidence uh, that supports the Bible, and ways you as a parent can interact with your child, specifically on the education of science. And uh, our guest today is Thomas Purifoy, Jr. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave. It's great to be here. Uh, Thomas, I've had a chance to look at your film, Is Genesis History?, which came out in February of 2017, and it's fantastic film. Uh, thank you for making it.
3: Oh, thanks a lot. Uh, really, it was a great. The God was very gracious to us. We had some good folks involved. Deltac, Dr. Deltac, is just incredible. His truth project mm-hmm. I mean, over 12 million people have seen it, and it's still just like he went on to uh, Brazil recently. It was translated into Portuguese. It just keeps really, yeah, spreading out. Um, and then the scientists involved and the scholars. Just great groups. So in a way, I was kind of the fly on the wall that got to watch all these guys do their good stuff.
2: And it set some records, right? With it did.
3: You know, the film was a little bit curious. We had, I think the night it was out, it was the top grossing film in the United States. So mm-hmm. it's it a Thursday. I think it beat the Lego movie by a few thousand dollars. Yeah. I like to say it kind of won in the minor leagues. We, were not <laughs> <laughs> we weren't in the majors. Well, there was a one-night deal. It was huge, a numbers. It was big numbers, yes. A lot of the theaters sold out. I think there are a lot of people. A friend of mine, Tim Challey's who is a blog, um, very popular blogger. He wrote a review of the film, and he said, you know, I feel like there is a quiet majority of people that have an interest in this, and there has never been a film that really addressed it like this. And so they, they came out, and it's continued to do well. I think it's still, at least it... Last time I checked, this past few weeks, uh, two or three weeks, it's been on the number one Amazon DVD. It's hmm. a documentary, so not like Christian stuff. Just kind of out there in the middle.
2: Yeah, I so. would strongly recommend going and getting a copy of this. I, I saw it the first night it came out. A friend of mine was an executive producer. But the thing that was like remarkable to me was the stickiness of this. Like people stuck around. I mean, you're talking any kind of anytime you're talking about a documentary that you're diving into some serious facts and listening to scientists and listening to you know I'm I'm just going how long before my head explodes or <laughs> right. you know, I just kind of <laughs> give up, but there were people actually standing and sitting on the carpeted stairs, um, watching and younger kids. I wouldn't say like young, 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 but you know, tweens and they stuck through the whole thing. I couldn't believe I anything. Mean, they stayed till the end to the discussion at the, you know, at the table. But, um, no, it's, it's a really funny well deal.
3: I mean, we broke a lot of rules with this. When I mean, you're not supposed to have a documentary really more than 90 minutes or so, and it mm-hmm. was 110, I think. No, 100, not 110, 101 minutes. But with the extra piece, you know, we yeah. had Q and A Q&A there. It's another 1250, so you had a, it was a full two hours. Um, it's all talking heads. They're all use scientific language. Mm-hmm. A lot of them. I mean, these are PhDs. So when you say tone it down, that's like going from a nine to like a <laughs> seven. So you're still like, you know, they the words all you just that's what it is. The vocabulary and and we hit a lot of tough tough. Deep, complex topics. Yeah, and we put it all together, and I think that's testimony, though, that a lot of people are interested in this.
2: That's right. That's exactly right. Well, well done.
1: Yeah, we. You know, I had a chance to review it, and um, you know, my background is in uh, medical healthcare, mm-hmm. and uh, so I've been around a lot of scientific banter, and usually, uh, you get whenever you look at a documentary, whenever you see something that that has a scientific sort of core to it, you know, people. Tune out in about two minutes. You know that's pretty much all they can handle. Is this? You know we're we're really going cerebral when we look at documentaries. And I want to congratulate you. I think this would be very appropriate for a family to watch together or a church. Absolutely. Uh, youth group in particular would really benefit from a documentary like this because the visuals that you guys use are excellent. Uh, the way that you sort of simplify really complex issues. I can tell, as a guy who's been involved in producing a television series, there's a lot of work behind the scenes on that. Tell us about what it was like to be the director, producer, writer of Is Genesis History.
3: Uh, it was a lot of long hikes. So we <laughs> hiked. I thought about that when <laughs> I was watching. Like, so Someone went... had to drive up there. There were grips. Oh, uh, we there went, were, like... I mean, Steve Austin. So Steve Austin is a, uh, he, this is an interesting story. When Steve Who's the first guy? The geologist that shows up. Steve was actually a child prodigy. Not everyone knows this. He kind of would tell us stories because you're sitting in the car with somebody a long time. And he got telling stories how he had been growing in Pittsburgh, and apparently there was like a like a tween show. Like he was like you know ten or something, and he would ride in. It's like a science show. And they would put pictures up. You know, it was uh it's like an old TV show. So they would like show an image of something, and the kids had to ride into what it is. Hmm. And after it went on for like a month or two, the producers wrote his mother like, "Is this kid for real? Like he never." Is someone giving him this information? And they were like, no. She was like, no, no, he knows this. So they invited him on the show, and he was on a TV show, kind of like a the science kid when he, when he was a tween. So um, he started with his love of science, really as a young kid. And, of course, I mean, he got his – he's one of the first guys getting his Ph.D. in 1979, I think, 78, 79, um, in University of Pennsylvania talking about coal. And he introduced the floating log mat theory. This idea, so where are all these coal, maybe these huge coal beds, but they're kind of curious. They have flat bottoms. They have flat tops. They go over like, I mean, continent size. I mean, some of the coal beds we have that are here in the United States stretch all the way, if you kind of can trace them across Europe and into like the Soviet Union. Like what huh. the Soviet Union, it was the Soviet Union then when they was writing all this. But yeah, in Russia, what makes really, really big, huge things like that? Well... His idea was a global flood so he came came with this idea of a floating log map so if you get a flood where do all the trees go well they float and what kind of trees are they and so anyway not to get too down into huh. that we talked about rabbit holes that's a great example and then one of the other phds laughed that he was the luckiest phd ever he had this idea of a floating log, mat in 79 and in 1980 Mount So St. a floating Helens. log,
2: just to stop you for a second, that's yeah. basically like when you see a, a flood, you get all the wood you floating got down in a basically in, a, in one layer. That's His idea was,
3: about. yeah, so all this was so you billions and billions of trees. So what would happen? They would get on the surface, they would roll, the bark would all scrape off, and it would float down and create peat because that's what we see in coal. Coal is mainly bark and wood, hmm. um, and it takes 12 feet of wood product to make a foot of coal. That's a lot. So let's just think about hundreds of feet of coal in places. So what makes that? Well, then Mount St. Helens erupted in 1980 and sure enough, Spirit Lake went up 800 feet, took out all the trees around and you can go see pictures, million trees floating in Spirit Lake. Like we actually filmed it up there. What in the film, we went to Mount St. Helens, Steve was with us. So four years later, he put on a scuba diving suit and went down and sure enough, all the bark had come off and it was already making peat down at the bottom. Wow! Um, Oh, yeah. So this is the thing is that what you find is that a lot of this data, a lot of this of of really good scientists doing work has totally been ignored because they view the world from a different paradigm, that biblical paradigm. Mm -hmm. And so it's
2: just not talked about. I imagine in the process of filming this, it must have been hard to qualify. Okay, we want to cover this. We want to keep this in. Because just as soon as you open up one layer, you're like, oh, but that also leads to this. And, that's right. And you could very easily, like, spend a few hours just on one particular topic. It would be hard from a creative perspective to kind of keep reining it in to focus. But.
3: Well, I think that's one of the challenges with this topic that everyone faces. And My mm-hmm. mom's going to face this when they've got a kid or a parent. is going to be like, okay, there's so much to know. How right. do I do that, deal with this? And I think we have to realize that, I mean, it's been 200 years for a, another paradigm has developed itself trying to interpret the data. And so you've got a, thousands, tens of thousands of scientists who have bought into this view, and they're then taking the data and doing their best they can to interpret it. Now, there's still some shockingly, to think that after all that time has gone on, there's still some shockingly big problems, not the least of which is what's the mechanism for you know evolution. I mean, that's most people aren't aware that there's no real defined mechanism for how. Yeah, natural selection's one idea. But when you start digging into these on both sides, you're like, wait, wait. A lot of folks don't know a lot about any of this stuff. Mm. So I think that the sheer size of it is what is very daunting to people. And then knowing how do I as a parent approach this? How do I teach this? In a similar way, that's the way we were with this film. And I think that's when we looked at it. We we kind of the films divide into three areas. And it starts out very simply dealing with just this idea of catastrophe. Things happen in the world that happen quickly. And it doesn't take have to take a long time to make What we see around us Hmm. and it kind of rolled out from
2: that as a perfect segue into into what i wanted to ask and that is so you're a father you've got young kids where do you start where does a parent out there start talking about creation or uh, the evidence of our faith related to creation
3: where do you well suggest it's funny i don't know if you, you may not know this this film actually was started with a conversation with a tween So my daughter, Libby, who's out there in the other room now, what, 14? She was 10. And she saw the Ken Ham-Bill Nye debate. And Libby's very smart, uh, very, very sharp. And the first time she had really been introduced to evolutionary thinking with Bill Nye. um, And a lot of that is she just hadn't thought about. And so she started asking, started with really conversation. So I think that's a good place. Where do you start? Start talking about stuff. Mm. And what she had done is she'd been taught the Bible really well and she quickly began to realize that any picture of an older Earth, a picture of evolution, um, meaning the idea that we were had a common descent, a common ancestor that we all were descended from, related, you know, originally, you know, we're primates. But going back, if you go back, you're back back to bacteria. It's just a single tree of life. All of these things, I think she quickly realized, even at 10 years old, that this is a different history. It's a different story than it's in the Bible. The issue is not science. The issue is history. Hmm. Science wants to impinge on it, and they want to, you know, kind of, make it that as an issue, but that's not what the issue, in my opinion, is at all. And she realized that early on, so I felt I needed to understand more about this myself. So I started to study. Really, the film was in a way to answer her questions. And so, in a sense, some people said, well, it's a film for adults. I'm like, well, it's really really designed for thinking people at all ages, not trying to make it too complex, but also you can't oversimplify. So where do you start? I think you start with questions and starting to ask kids, what are they interested in? Because you don't know. I mean, you can jump in one area that may not care about that. I think that's the first good thing. Um,
2: That's a good tip. Yeah,
1: and that uh, really uh, confirms some of the experiences we've had working with the ministry, iShine. We've found that tweens, uh, kids between the ages of 7 and 13, uh, are really hungry to be treated like adults. In other words, Mm -hmm. they like to engage at a higher intellectual level than often we may think. They
3: can. Yeah. They absolutely can.
1: Yeah. And part of that is it seems to be a direct response to the digital revolution. So they've been exposed to all these ideas. They see and hear uh, really complicated thoughts every day on their smartphones or on the internet. And so it seems that their capacity to wrestle with these difficult questions and wrestle with their faith is not only expanded, but it's
3: voracious. Like they're hungry for that. Have you found that to be true? Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've taught. Um, in a high school and, of course, in middle school for myself for years and taught junior high and and younger, even in um, elementary kids for years in Sunday school. And what I find is that as you present things as the way they really are and say, look, I think the Bible's a a good book, but it's not a book that I'm – that faith is not a, you know, push the I believe button and take a big leap. It's more like, you know what, it's actually a terribly rational thing to think. It's a rational faith. Um, which is very much not the way our society is taught. And so I think that when you present to kids and say, let's just explore this together, let's look into it, the challenge is the parent does need to know some things. And so I think that the two areas the parents have to know really well is the Bible first. Mm-hmm. That most parents don't realize how much the Bible talks about the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I mean, I would think it was a—we we interviewed a theologian, Doug Kelly, and I was reading an interview where I'm working on some materials right now, so I'm going back reading some of these interviews of these guys, and he, he said over 150 times— some part of Genesis 1-11 through 11 is mentioned, either by allusion or by direct statement in the New Testament. Hmm. Um, and then you meet all the comments in the Old Testament as well, is that basically the rest of the Bible looks at those first 11 chapters as foundational. I mean, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great British pastor, listening into a series of him on Genesis, and he said, you know, unless Genesis is history, the gospel is not true. I mean you, these are directly related Jesus, if you look at Luke 3, he God says, "Hey, you're my son, he baptized him and then guess what Luke does He goes into a genealogy and he ends up from Jesus all the way to Adam, who's the Son of God hmm. And guess what's next? chapter four is the temptation. So which is the repeat of what Adam did in the garden. like hmm. Jesus is the Son of God going into you know defeat Satan, whereas Satan defeated the first Son of God. It's all about that comparison. and so I think that his parents, you got to know the Bible teaches about these things, and that's your bedrock. And so I think that being able to teach your kids that scripture, because that's what we found our my kids. I mean, I got I mean, a funny story. Same daughter, Libby, sitting across the table from a guy I love, professor of systematic theology. Um, this is a high level guy who mm. had kind of adopted an old Earth view, and he was trying to explain his view of Genesis one to us at the table, and I wasn't gonna engage in one, I really like him, I really respect this guy, I think there are a lot of reasons intellectuals accept these views, not worth getting into here but she was very respectful after he left she was like well what about the context, what about this, this, this and this, you know what about day and it means this and what about you know Exodus chapter 20 where it talks about you know the fourth commandment yeah, creation of the world in six days and rest in the seventh, that's why you got a week um, she knew all these, so I think it's very important that parents teach their kids the Bible And what the bible teaches because you can pretty much prove creation in six days from jesus and paul and peter and then if they if you hold them as an authority you know they weren't wrong so then what how did we get to where we are today that which is the second area but you got to know the bible first
2: yeah that's great i think the other thing that like in hearing you talk that i struggle with personally that um with my kids is having six kids it's questions constantly can I do this what about this how do I expect you know like and and I get impatient with going just because and right as parents I think it's really important to see questions sometimes I mean not like why can't I have that sugar is good you know not not but they are searching our kids are searching and a lot of times we shut down questions instead of embracing those questions and kind of Walking through them and teaching our kids, and so just hearing you speak, it's a kind of a reminder to myself that I need I need to be more patient when my kids are exploring things, because that that means their mind is searching for an answer for something, and we do have the answer. And so, as parents, we need to be pretty deliberate about listening to the questions and walking through those with our kids.
3: Well, yeah, and I will say this about though, what I find that kids are, and this is actually kind of funny, because we just saw the new Spider-Man. My kids love the Marvel Mm -hmm. comic series, and so we saw Spider-Man, and. we needed to go see Ant Man because I'd not seen that. And so we watched that. And I then we went and watched. We just saw that. Oh, it's one of the best. I mean, it is just be so honest. good. He's I mean, got you got some some of the language issues, but sure. it's, it's a funny film. Uh, and pretty clean, actually, as yes. films go. Um, and they wanted to rewatch Avengers. The point of it all is that evolutionary theory is the basis of Marvel comics. There's an article I want to write hmm. that evolution really only works great in Marvel comics. I mean Ultron, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to evolve himself. And he quotes this stuff, do you think? He quotes Peter. Or, uh, you know, upon this, or Jesus, Mm -hmm. upon this rock, I'll build my church. And he plays on all this of evolution. You got to know evolutionary theory to understand Ultron. The point is, all kids, if they are a tween that are watching these movies, they are being drip fed an evolutionary worldview point by point by point by point. It's not just in schools, it's all around them. So I think that teaching kids to be able even to hear and say, now, where do they get that view? Now, why do they think that? And it's really necessary for the Marvel Cinematic Universe to have evolution. Otherwise, you can't have all these creatures. But, I mean, we don't really think people fly through the air swinging hammers anyway. So (laughs) it does, you know, certain people don't have certain, you know, abilities, you know, to control the weather. So all that to say, there's a certain reality that that's actually, I would argue, evolution really in its ultimate sense is a form of a myth. It's a scientific myth that we've established Mm. in order to explain our origins. It's a modern myth. That right. sounds crazy to think that. Well, no, you know, I think prove, and it's a pretty thin myth.
2: I mean, it's, when you look at it, it's it, it takes, we say this all the time, and it, it, this is in its simplest form, but it takes more faith to actually believe in evolution than to look at the data that we have and go, okay, there is there is design here. There is absolute design. And I loved, you were talking just before we went on air here about um, your friend in England, and, and, not, and the design, how that f- all fits together at the same time is a much more plausible argument than... The evolution over millions of years. Would you share that with us? Yeah, audience? no,
3: It's a, the, my friend is Stuart Burgess. So Dr. Stuart Burgess is at Bristol University. I think he's the head of the engineering department there, and he um, is a really well-known engineer in Europe, uh, primarily because he works in bio-inspired design. His idea is a Christian, and a six day creationist and he has basically said, look, I think that the world around me is probably better designed than anything I can do, so I'm gonna to look to it to get my designs out. That's and amazing. He's designed things like the solar panels on the Invasat, you know, space station or not space station space satellite. Um the European space satellite. He's worked in redesigning the British bicycling team's bicycle, which is why they won all these medals hmm. um, in this last Olympics. And he actually, BBC's a number of reports. You can go online and see stuff on him on YouTube. He's just this really kind of a mild-mannered guy. But his big point... So he, he studies creation. What he to, does is he to, looks at... Oh, yeah, he talks about a dragonfly, about how incredible... Like, they were designing drones. And he said, so how do you... So you've got something that flies incredibly well. Look at a dragonfly. Like, it's tiny, and it flies perfectly, and it can turn on a dime, and it can see all around it. So let's look and see how it flies. He said, when you start studying how a dragonfly actually flies, he said, it's crazy complex, the ability for us to try to even to do this. And he said, Mm -hmm. so yes, he goes to the creation and looks at the designs in it and says, this is even in a fallen world. And this is an interesting question. So nothing's ever perfect now, but even in a fallen world, the designs are really effective. So, and he's a six-day creationist, and apparently the head of the university gets letters every now and again saying, you know, this guy's a loon. He's a six-day creationist. And he said he has total job security. The guy just laughs and says, sure, we're not getting rid of this guy. Do you know how good he is for our department? <laughs> like, he's, he's an incredibly valuable um, scientist. And I think that he is a great example. People will say, well, creationists can't be a good scientist. Well, that's, they, don't, they don't even know. Mm. They don't even know science. There's so many scientists like Newton, who's a creationist. Some of the greatest scientists ever. Maxwell, these were Right. All the great scientists have believed in God, um, and many of them are been creationists. Like Newton actually was trying, Hit one of his big deals was to how, did, how old is the earth? Um, now, wow. I say all that to pay that there's a lot of ignorance. And I don't mean that word negatively, but just that people just don't know the history that we as Christians have as in science. And that really, that science really grew up in the West because it is us looking at God's world and trying to understand it and trying to explain it because we believed a rational god created a rational world that we as rational people can understand so with that in mind what Stuart pointed out is that when you look at six-day creation, when you look at the world as engineered, it actually makes a lot more sense for it to happen quickly because no one evolves things slowly. No engineer slowly starts one system and then slowly starts another. Rather, all the pieces have to be there simultaneously. And a lot of people have talked about this, you know, irreducible complexity just in a simple system as being an intelligent design. I would go so far as to say that the entire world is not just irreducibly complex. It has countless mutualisms um for example i'm going to probably mispronounce it mycorrhizal fungi it's a fungi that lives around roots that the roots need to take nitrogen out of the soil to to, to bring them in i think if i'm going to get this right kurt wise explains this sometimes i'll mispronounce the because sure. it just gets complex You can't have one without the other. Each lives on the other. And you Hmm. have all of these mutual relationships, which, of course, we know that just from plants. we got to have plants to have. So think, if the plants are getting out of the soil, we have to have plants to get oxygen. They need us for carbon dioxide. It goes around and around and around. So throughout our entire body, just the bacteria we have living throughout us, helping us stay alive. We can't digest certain things without bacteria. So God has created a world that is so complex, all of the systems are totally interrelated Six-Day Creation makes the most sense for that because he would have done it quickly to put it all together. Hmm. I love yeah. that.
1: I, I, I've been listening uh, raptly. You're obviously very passionate about this and uh, very knowledgeable as well. And I imagine that producing a film like this educated you extensively on some of the details behind uh, the creation question. I know one of our passions is to help parents build filters Uh, For their kids. In other words, uh, some type of apparatus that filters out the deceptions and lies of our culture and allows the truth to come through. And it sounds like with the Marvel stuff, you're doing an amazing job of taking pop culture and using it to train and teach your children about the truth of, of scripture. Uh, The the battle, I think, that parents engage with on a daily or weekly basis is how do they know what is not being filtered for their kids? In other words, what are their kids hearing and accepting and believing that the parent never had a chance to refute or to offer an alternative explanation. What I like about Mm -hmm. this project is that it really goes into this area and opens a door. It's not the end of a process, it's the beginning of a process for a parent. So watching this film together, sitting down as a church, a youth group, uh, watching this opens the door then, I believe that would be very, very practical and helpful for parents and pastors to begin a dialogue with a tween or a teen. And suddenly, if, you're, if you've if you had the experiences I've had with this age group, once you open the right door, it just all piles out. It's like Yeah, this I think whole, you're right. There's just a tremendous amount of backlog. You know, things that they've been sort of uh, sitting in church for months or weeks or years and they're going, you know, this isn't quite what I'm hearing and I'm not sure what to do with this. And so, Uh, My encouragement as a pastor is this, I look at this as a catalyst. This is a prompting, if you will, of a larger discussion of faith with kids, with young adults, and even older adults who maybe uh, are attending a church or engaged in their faith in a way that this has always been unsettling to them.
3: Well, I think you're right. And the challenge we faced with this, it goes back to your first comment, Robert, about the the complexity of just putting what to put in here. This is a simplification and it's a really the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Unlike a lot of different, of topics where you can watch a film and then kind of go back and rediscuss, you know, the questions of faith the questions of that, each one of these is a different doorway down a different rabbit hole. So the problem, I mean, you know, not the, it's just the reality of it. Each one of these 5-10 minute interviews represents 4 to 5 hours mm-hmm. of material of which that's really was the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Meaning what I find is that there is such a lack of knowledge about the world around us, not just among Christians, among everyone, that what I found was that a lot of the material that people approach us as Christians is anti-evolutionary. Well, if we just show them why this can't be right, that's not going to do any good. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't beat something with nothing. What I feel is much more important is when Christian parents know what is true and able to teach their kids, not just biblically, but from a scientific modeling perspective of like, well, this actually makes a lot of sense. Meaning, so why the heck do we have all these sedimentary layers around the world? And why are they so thick? Because you can pass by rock road, road cuts all the time and see them. They're all around us. Why are they like that? And why are there fossils? And so I think it requires parents and pastors to dig deeper And actually, I mean, a book that I recommend everybody should read is a book by Paul Garner called The New Creationism. And it's a great starting point. It's a, you know, it's not a huge book, but Paul overviews this because I think that within the creation world, there's been a lot of tendency toward anti-evolution, which is Mm -hmm. understandable. But I think that understanding the positive case for creation, that will therefore, you don't, this in a sense, you don't need a filter because in a way you can hear it but you have something that fits things well meaning mm. it fits not only the text but it fits the world around us mm. and i think it's important for parents to recognize that science is not the ultimate authority our society wants to teach them that so but just simply teaching kids a little of the history of science it's amazing how that goes to say well these views have changed over time why are they not going to continue to change? That yeah. when we say the Bible is an ultimate authority because it's history, we can't change our parents. We can't change our grandparents. Like there are things that we can't change that George Washington lived. Like no one can do anything about that. It just is. It is. It, and it's 100%. You can take it to the bank. <laughs> and if someone were, you know, you get into Vegas and say, I'm going to bet you that George Washington didn't live. I mean, they're going to be all over that. Yeah. Bet. So my point is that when we look at this is the Bible is a book of history, and that science is just simply a humanly attempt to understand the very complex way God made the world. When you see that, you actually, kids begin to say, oh, well then, so this isn't, yeah, I can see the world works, but science is trying to understand it. So technology is not science. Technology is an application, it's engineering, Hmm. which is why engineers never have to worry about a job, security, but a biologist would. You know, Christian biologists aren't creationists aren't allowed in these job situations because they won't be hired because they're teaching a paradigm that's very dangerous to the prevailing worldview of which trillions and trillions of dollars rest. Think about it. Mm -hmm. If these guys are right, it means that every major college, every university, every textbook, most movies, most TV shows are wrong. Well, that's a lot of money riding on that. And so there's a lot of things at stake with this view. So to me, the way that parents need to address is they've got to teach their kids the positive case. So, okay, how did animals diversify? Why do we have all these animals? When you start talking about created kinds, it actually makes a lot more sense. And you can go into any, I mean, we were, I was in the university, I was in Vienna at their natural history museum and sure enough, all the animals are put in their kinds. Very curious why the bears go with the bears and the (laughs) cats go with the cats and the dogs go with the dogs and they don't become the other and you don't see it in the fossil record. And when you start studying that, that there really isn't very clear evidence. There's a lot of change. So you gotta embrace change. But I mean, you don't have to embrace common descent. Um, When (laughs) you start teaching what's in the fossil record and start digging in, and that's what I did. I mean, I read the evolutionist books. I love actually a lot of evolutionists, Stephen Jay Gould, what a great writer, you know, Benton's book, Vertebrate Paleontology. Go teach yourself from the evolutionist, in many cases, looking at the data and say, huh, I think that data may fit better this model. And I think that's important to realize. There's a Hmm. lot of motivation um, among people not to get into this data. Don't let the Christians really get the data. Because when you start to, kids start to see stuff and say, well, ah, that actually makes a lot of sense. And it fits the Bible better. Well, then you don't really have to worry as much about the filter because, I mean, I mean again, not to go on with my daughter, she's having to do something on the Big Bang. And my daughter had never really been exposed to Big Bang theory. So I just gave her some YouTube videos and a Khan Academy thing to listen to. And she came to me and she said, so you're telling me they believe that in the first second this happened? In the first 10 seconds? And then nothing happened. She kind of explained to me, and she was like, this is crazy. Who would believe this? Just how do they know this is true? Now, again, a lot of even secular guys are questioning the Big Bang. And we bring it up in the film. You know, plasma theory guys are solid. You know, any number of views that say the Big Bang's a non-falsifiable theory. But it's you got to have one. So they're, they're going to hold on to it tooth and nail. Even though all these – you listen to Danny Faulkner, all these things have changed about it. So I have an old encyclopedia set, and I gave it to her in 1971. Fascinating. The Big Bang um, theory, really, I think Penrose and Hawking had only really established it in 1970. So this was still very new. And a lot of the later views of the age of the universe, they changed the Hubble constant, I believe, I don't know, in the 80s. Because it had gone up to an 18 to 20 million, or 16 to 18 billion year old universe, and now it's dropped back down. Well, in 1971, if you read this Britannica entry, they had said, well, there had been a problem understanding how old the universe was. Because we had established that the Earth was around 5 billion years old, you know, 4.5, I think. Claire, uh, Claire Patterson, I think, had done that in '53, um, But they said, we now have figured out that the universe is 5 billion years old, which makes perfect sense with the age of the Earth. And they had a whole section basically <laughs> saying that isn't that consistent? We know the universe is 5 billion years old because the Earth is 5 billion. It all just fits. And it was like, now that's great. Because they're saying, seeing a pattern that now everybody would say, oh, no, 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 that, we don't believe that at all. Well, so how do you know what's true? The encyclopedia says it then. And you go to the next version, it'll change it. And you go to the, see the point? Right, right. Where is it going to be in 25 years? So when you start showing kids that these things have changed, then you know it's not true. But as my daughter pointed out to me, she goes, well, it's funny. The Bible's never changed. And its view hmm. of, an, of a, the earth goes way back. Even Augustine, who did not believe in six-day creation because he believed in instantaneous creation. All you will point to Augustine because he was a Neoplatonist influenced by his culture to basically think that God made it in six days for the angels to see. We would say, what are you talking about? <laughs> but the point is the culture can even influence good Christians, which I would say is why a lot of smart, wise Christian men today have accepted the conventional view of either they're been taken in by theistic evolution or by a view of an old earth creation because of the culture. If Augustine can be influenced by that way, then I can promise you guys that we respect a lot today can also be influenced and still be wrong.
2: That's great.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good place for us to try and wrap up a little bit. I, I really want to applaud you for the work that you're doing in uh, educating Christians uh, about their faith and sort of tearing down the walls between science and the Bible. And I think that there's an oversimplification That's occurring in our culture where if you're a Christian, you have to sort of commit intellectual suicide when you go to to college or when you go to the higher educations. And so uh, we really want to promote and support people who are giving rational worldviews that also support and are consistent with the biblical narrative. And so uh, we want to endorse this. We want to definitely encourage our listeners to check out this video. It's available online uh, tell us where people can get your your movie
3: yeah so they can go to isgenesishistory.com has got all of our um, materials on it and um, it's also going to other than getting into the film we've got a lot of other resources so we try to provide a lot of more ways because we realize this is complex and as you even see I have a tendency to go off in all of these various directions I think that the at the end of the day, it's important to, to realize that parents are going to have to do some work right. on this one, and kids are going to do some work that sending them off to college and just saying, well, they've read a few things or seen a film, it ain't going to cut it. I mean, this is a powerful, this is the basis of the non-Christian worldview. And so it will be highly protected. And so Children need to understand not only the creationist view, but they need to understand the evolutionist view mm. pretty well. You got to know both sides, mm-hmm. much as you would anyway with apologetics. You need to know both sides. Right. Um, but I think that that we are our hope is to provide parents more and more things. We have church resources, we have parent resources. Um, in a way, that's kind of what the film's about. It's like getting people to start the journey. It's not an end. Right. It's really the beginning.
2: It's a great. It's a great beginning, and it's great. It's a great on ramp into thinking and talking with your kids about things that are, are true.
1: Yeah, and I think, again, uh, parents are, are going to readily identify how important this is. Their kids this year are coming home with science projects, with papers, with textbooks that directly contradict what those kids are hearing in Sunday school. And so to be able to have a resource where they can sit down with their kids and say, look, there are two views of the same event. And it's important for you to decide as a young adult what you're going to believe, because what you believe about this is going to shape your identity. It's going to shape your future. And as Christians, I really strongly support any effort that we make to give our kids the ability to weigh out the options, uh, to not guilt them into their faith, to not intimidate them into believing in Christ, but to allow them to process that on their own and then embrace it for a lifetime and so we thank you for being here it's a real privilege thank you thank you all to right. us. robert i feel like i just got through <clears throat> science class
2: yeah yep i uh i don't know what to say <laughs> it, it's just <laughs> it you know i i found myself like i know we're going down bunny trails but i like these bunny trails and they all actually lead to kind of the same understanding but my goodness, there's just so m- Once you start p- peeling back the layers of this, um, it it makes sense. And it's just amazing that uh, that for some reason, we as Christians, we don't spend time. I, I think did, – did you say this on the air or was it just off? Like, if you don't show what a real dollar bill is, you won't know what a counterfeit is. So I like, I like that idea of exploring, okay, this is – real creation this is the reality this could have happened this way that way you can sense when it's not
1: true or real uh, for me just it's really helpful to show that there there is uh inconsistencies in our culture's insistence that the bible is a myth Mm. yeah you know so science Uh, educators, pop culture, movies, entertainment, everyone has created this uh, sort of message that to believe in scripture, to be a Christian today is to really abandon your logic or reason. Mm. And it's just sort of this knee jerk emotional thing in that you're not really a serious thinker if you believe in the Bible. And I love the fact that a very serious thinker just spent 30 some minutes with us blowing our mind yeah, <laughs> about all the detail, yeah. all well, the facts that some of them. support it. Yeah,
2: Yes, they are all those evidence support, but it just still opens up layer after layer after layer of, like, I just kept wanting to go deeper and deeper. And like, if this was this, which we know to be true, then that must mean this, which mean the, I mean, there's just not enough time and day to actually explore everything. But yes, all the truth that he laid out for us was just. Mind blowing. Yeah, and it wasn't like generalities. You know, these (laughs) these weren't like lofty statements. No, this thought that I never I never thought of, but like, how did these these layers of coal get you know created, and then going talking about the log runs, the log layer, where like if a big flood happened, it would push. Sense. It makes total sense. Yeah. I, I never heard that put that way so
1: well and then i was you know we said this in the post interview with him uh, before he left it, 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 the opening of this film is mount mm. saint helens mm-hmm. and and you don't know that until five six minutes into the Should show reveal yeah. yeah and and you're looking at this landscape that looks ancient and then the you know sort of the the curveball is well this has been 20 years Right, you know this. This was formed in twenty years. Right, and you go, oh my gosh, how many other assumptions has science made or or educators made that are false? Right, yeah, I think it's a wonderful resource. I I had that feeling we could have talked all day with Thomas. Absolutely, and he
2: knows his stuff. He does. What's the website? We want to make sure we get our listeners to go to it. Um, it's uh, he's uh with Compass Cinema. Uh,
1: They're based on all the
2: resources that you can get for this video. Um, I'm trying to remember. I thought he said something. Is genesishistory.com? Yeah, is genesishistory.com. There's lots of resources that dig deeper into the film, but certainly start yeah, with the film. And the- and there's
1: a quite a bit of detail about who the experts are on this. Mm. You know, I didn't see any names on the film roster or on the website that weren't PhDs. Oh yeah, like the entire crew. There's like dozens and dozens of PhDs. This is a very, very high level documentation of the truth, um, and it supports the biblical narrative of a young Earth. Yeah, which is a debate. Uh, even totally. within Christians, and I'm I'm not even sure where I stand on the young Earth um, model, but I definitely can see that there is a a biblical uh, there is biblical evidence to support what we as Christians believe that God could have created the Earth in six days.
2: That's not intellectual suicide to believe that, right? And most importantly, that God created things. Yeah, this didn't just happen. Right, yeah. the
1: The intelligent design thing is a sort of an issue you and I had to wrestle with a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. uh, when we were writing the Shock and Awe curriculum yeah. and kind of coming up with that whole live event. And we realized very quickly that the probability of a universe spontaneously coming into order was a leap of faith, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So I think for parents, uh, they may uh, assume that their kids know this already. You know, they've been to church, they've been to church camp, they have had experiences with pastors where they've professed their faith. But I think the detail is important, especially when they get into junior high.
2: Yeah, I think the thing that we need to let make sure parents know, and I know we're we're running out of time here, but is that this is complex and it is a lot to take in so don't try to cover it all take a little bit at a time take a one step at a time one lesson at a time and start you know it's it's not just okay kids we're gonna sit around the table and now we're gonna dispel evolution (laughs) like just build blocks of of understanding because it is overwhelming when you see how many layers this is whether it's creation whether it's you know coal or you know, um, species or whatever. There's there's all kinds of avenues you can go down. Just don't feel overwhelmed. Just take one thing at a time.
1: Yeah, one of the things that we were talking about at the end of our interview is this idea that help uh, parents form filters, uh, help them build uh, critical thinking in their kids. And I yeah. think this is a huge uh, stepping stone for a tween or teen who's beginning to wonder, hey, is this all true? Uh-huh. Um, and here's a here's a great project, here's a great product that uh, parents and pastors could use to begin that journey with their kid. I completely agree. That's great. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is a, a really new format for us on season two of Brilliantly Brave Parenting, and we hope you like it. We look forward to hearing from you. You can email us at info at uh, and you can also uh, go to our uh, iTunes account or SoundCloud and put in a favorable review. Uh, those are very important to us. Uh, you know, give us give us some kudos if you, this is a blessing to you and share it with a friend. Also, uh, Season 2 has a brand new um, component. Which sure does. Yeah. We have a, a mascot this year. A sage. A sage mascot. Yes. He's a small uh, Yoda
2: like oh.
1: yeah. creature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he
2: is a yodel-like creature. <laughs> his name He's is a, Winston. His yeah. name is Winston Lacroix Beeson. He has a middle name. Did you know that? I did Maybe. not know Winston had a middle Winston name. Winston Lacroix Beeson. Yeah, a big name for a little dog. That's right. So Winston Lacroix Beeson is our um, sage, and uh, every week we're going to be bringing you wisdom from him. And, wisdom. Uh, this this week he gave it to you. What, what what was it about? Well,
1: Winston, you know I am a dog whisperer. I know. I yeah. Know. And so Winston, uh, he weighs maybe, what, four or five pounds? About five and a half. Five and a half pounds. He's a Yorkie Chihuahua. Yeah, Chorkie. He's very sweet, and uh, he likes to whisper to me, especially when I'm holding cheese. And so today, Winston whispered to me a fun fact that will uh, astound and amaze you. Did you know that the Oreo cookie? Yes. Mm -hmm. The Oreo. I'm familiar. It was made and, and invented in 1912. Hmm. Huh. Did you know that? Uh, no. I did didn't you know that. that the Oreo cookie has
2: been the best-selling cookie of all time since? No, I did not know that. Yeah? I'm a little concerned that he knows this because he's not allowed to have them. It has chocolate in it.
1: Well, you know, I, I don't know exactly what's in it, but uh, I do know that the- I can tell you the center is
2: lard and sugar. Well, that, that. that kind of ruins it for <laughs> me just a little bit. <laughs> Winston brought it up. That's probably what he likes. He likes the lard and sugar.
1: Well, I, I like lard and sugar then because Oreos are like my favorite. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting fact.
2: I'm glad he shared well, that. Well, Winston,
1: you. you know, he each week uh, is going to bring us a very, very important fact like that. And so, for those of you Oreo lovers, don't listen to Robert. Lard and sugar is good for you. So, enjoy your Oreos in peace and know that it's over 100 years old. So, it's traditional
2: and the best selling cookie of all time.
1: And And it's popular. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Thanks, Winston. And join us again next week for Rosalinda Riviera. She's the director of New Life for Youth, an inner city ministry. She works with families that are working through rehabilitation and life issues. She's got on the street insight and wisdom. She is an influential voice on the East Coast. And we hope you enjoy next week's podcast on Brilliantly Brave Parenting.
0: Parents, remember, even if you may not feel brilliant or brave, you are. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 13. This podcast is a service of iShine Ministries and the Tween Gospel Alliance. All rights reserved. Donations to Brilliantly Brave are tax-deductible at iShineLive.com. Review and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, or on our webpage. And read our blog and connect with us at wordpress at brilliantlybrave.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Brilliantly Brave. Check us out at iShineLive.com.